The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we have a very special guest here to break down all things L.A. Lakers. Let's welcome Claire DeLune, musician and writer, one of the best followers on NBA Twitter, at Claire MPLS. Give her a follow. Check out her band, Tiny Desk, on Spotify. She also writes for The Guardian. She's here to tell us whether the Lakers' recent form is going to continue, whether they'll fall back to earth, and whether Anthony Davis might just be the... 2022-2023 MVP. Let's get into this, Nick. So do me a favor and drop that beat. How did you get into music? Well, so music I've been doing since I was a little kid. Um, I've been writing songs since I was like in kindergarten and I started playing music professionally in high school. So that has that is like, you know, been the, the kind of through line in my life. Um, I always knew that's what I wanted to do from the time I was really young. And, um, and yeah, it just sort of is like, I've said this before, but I feel like writing songs is sort of just the way I like synthesize the human experience. Like it's just the way I deal with my feelings and like, you know, deal with existential dread and all of it. So I, yeah, I don't really remember a time before I wrote songs. You know, it's funny. Um, you don't know this about me and I didn't know this about you until I was doing some prep about, about you, but me and you both were in a hip hop group. <gasps> no two, way. Two white girls in yeah. a hip hop group. That's, everybody needs that, right? That's like, there's a real short, <laughs> that's what everyone is clamoring for. They're like, you know what? I wish there was more white girls in hip hop groups. From white a real city, dearth of that. right? You were in yeah. Minneapolis. I was mm-hmm. in Portland. Um, yeah, those are the hip hop capitals. Although honestly, there's an amazing hip hop scene in Minneapolis because there's like Rhyme Sayers and like, you know, like, I mean, they they are kind of known for it a little bit, but we got yeah. a meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him shopping at a grocery store in Malibu once <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, Amine. <laughs> we, he had like a cart full of junk food. It was really funny. So that's really interesting to me because that's not really your genre now. But no, not at all. <laughs> so, and I don't even know. And if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to because it's not really, I couldn't really find anything about it on your profile. Yeah. And it was like, so like in the like micro print, right? It was like Claire DeLune in a hip hop group called The Chalice. Yep. The Chalice. With Lizzo. Yeah. With Lizzo. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I absolutely will talk about it. I, I just like don't, I don't know. I feel like it, first of all, it kind of feels like another lifetime because we stopped being a group in 2013. So it's like almost 10 years ago. Right. Um, and I've, I feel like I've done a lot since then. And I feel like I've honestly been like several people since then in some ways. Like I was in my early 20s. It's just like such a different time in my life. Um, but 
but yeah, I mean, it was, I loved it. Uh, it was a really fun group. I mean, obviously like any band I'm sure I could tell you, like there were for sure ups and downs and like, especially in, you know, a, like a group of 20 something women, there's like plenty of drama as <laughs> so, I was, I would imagine is pretty obvious, but besides that, it was a blast. Like we had so much fun and, you know, we, we, it was all of our first taste of sort of like any level of success. Like we had like national management and we went on tour and like that sort of stuff. And none of us had ever done that before. So um, I have super fond memories. Like it was great. Um, I was never super into the music, to be honest. It wasn't really my vibe. It didn't feel, I felt sort of like I was like playing a part or something like acting almost. Um, Cause it was very, I would say it's kind of similar to like what Lizzo's music is now. It's very like boombastic sort of like, like I'm going to go out in the town with my girls, like kind of music and my music, if you've ever heard what I do now is like basically the exact opposite of that. It's like very like moody and contemplative and like just not that at all. And I had a lot of fun kind of like trying on that like role, but it just never really felt like true to me. So it wasn't rewarding in the same way that releasing music is for me now because I didn't really feel like me. I felt like I was like acting kind of. Yeah, that's a really interesting space because, you know, what I what I had to do, uh, well, what I did, I was with a guy and we were mm-hmm. in a group and like I wasn't dating like guys that were drug dealers. But I was talking about it, you know, like, there's yeah. like a, you know, we're taking first class trips and like, you know, I'll hold your chain while you're in jail. And I was like 16. Oh my God. I was like 16. I'll send you it. I was like 16, 17 years old, right? At this yeah. point. But that was, I think, you're just kind of trying to make music and trying to be popular and trying to be seen. And then yeah. you, you sort of realize, I think, as a as an evolution to you, as a maybe this is how you feel, maybe you don't evolution as a person as an artist as a creative like it doesn't it's not really fun if you're not doing it how you want to do it and how and who you are and what resonates with the things that you actually do yeah I mean I think for me at the time it was a really good lesson because I ended up in that group because I was sort of when I moved back to Minneapolis originally it was supposed to be for like six months it was not supposed to be for a long time and it ended up being seven years and um I I knew people in the hip hop scene, just like through social life. And so I sort of got my foot in the scene, like dipped my toe in of music in that scene by just like singing hooks on like rappers songs and stuff. Like that's just (laughs) sort of like was my calling card. And then I met Lizzo and Lauren, who's her now DJ, um, because we were like three of the only women I would see around at like, you know, rap shows and stuff. And we, they asked me to sing on one song they were working on. And that one song ended up getting played on the radio locally in like heavy rotation. And so we just kind of like got offered shows to play based off of that. And based off of that, we started writing more songs so that we would have things to play at the shows and everything about my career up until that point from like how I ended up in hip hop to how I ended up in that group. It all felt very like passive in a way. Like I was busting my ass, but I didn't feel like any of it was like I had no vision for my career. I had no vision for the music I was making. I was sort of just like, oh, I guess I'll just do this thing because it just like, this is where my path is leading me and like this is falling in my lap. And Tiny Desk, which is the music I'm doing now, was sort of my first time ever really being like, I want to make really intentional music that sounds exactly like the kind of music I want to listen to. And I honestly didn't ever even occur to me until I started doing what I do now that I could do that. Like, I really didn't feel empowered in that way. And I kind of just felt like that's how careers go is just like opportunities come to you and you mold yourself into something that fits them. And then you go on to the next thing. So I think I had to like grow up, you know, and I had to like learn that you can and should be intentional about your career. How did you get from, okay, I'm, I'm making the music that I want to make, but also, you, you grew up in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you became a Laker fan. <laughs> so how, how do you get in from music to, you know, becoming this imp- sort of an important part of, I think, if somebody told me that you work for The Ringer, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like, you're kind of a part of the, the sort of stratosphere of it. How did, yeah. you, how did that, those opportunities come to be? And Man. how did your fandom come to be? It's so 
weird, honestly, that I work in NBA media now, because if you had told me that even like 10 years ago, I would have been like, you're insane. Like I was absolutely, first of all, I want to like be completely clear about this. The obnoxious artsy kid. That's like, what's a sport? Like sports ball. Like I was like that, like, I hate those people. And I was totally that I was such a little dickhead. Um, and I was just on tour with tiny Deaths, and I, my drummer was really into basketball, mind you way less into it than I am now. I've far surpassed him in knowledge at this point, <laughs> but like he had the playoffs on in the background, um, and, uh, in our green room on tour. And I just started watching with him and I got totally obsessed and just my personality type as a, a crazy person, I guess, is that like when I get into something, I get really into it and I like want to know everything about it and I get, you know, like super invested. And so I just went from zero to a hundred and just started consuming so much NBA and just got like really into it. Um, and obviously very quickly I surpassed interest in as far as all my friends, <laughs> like all my friends are like, shut up. I don't want to hear you talk about basketball. So I kind of just like ended up on Twitter, like to just tweet into the void about basketball because I was boring all my like artsy friends to tears. And that's how I kind of got in the NBA Twitter, like community, I guess. And then when I moved to LA in 2017, a lot of my NBA Twitter friends became like in real life friends. Cause a lot of them live here. And, um, for a long time, I was like the only one of my friends without a podcast and without who wasn't working in media. Like I got so, I can't overstate this. Like I got so into basketball that the only people who could like stand to like hang out with me and talk about basketball were people who were professionally working in the industry. <laughs> like it's just so ridiculous. But um, yeah, and then it just sort of like opportunities kind of started coming to me just from like, like my Twitter following growing and stuff. And I think also just because I, all my friends worked in the space and I just, I was just genuinely there for a good time. Like I had no agenda. I had no career ambitions. I had a whole other career as a musician, um, that I had been working on my whole, it was like my life's work. So I was like, I was definitely not trying to like schmooze people and like, like climb any sort of social ladder. Cause I was just like stoked to have friends that were down to talk to me about basketball, honestly. Um, and then it just sort of organically turned into a job, which is still so weird to me and very cool. But um, I also am still a full time musician, too. Like I do both. Um, so but yeah, I feel like I was I was laughing about this with my mom because I'm like, I don't think I could give career advice in the NBA because I don't think it'd be possible to recreate my path, because I think the only reason I even got the opportunities I did was because I had no agenda at all. And I feel like if I had tried to reverse engineer it and if I was like, oh, I really want a job in this industry, I don't know if if I would have just had like the joy de vivre of like what I was doing enough to get any opportunities to do it, you know? Yeah. And like maybe would be pressing, maybe exactly. be trying to manipulate in some way. And you know how it is in L.A. It's like, yeah, there's a desperation that you can smell and you can smell it when they're they see it something from you, right? Yeah, like that exactly. they have less and that they're using that relationship to maybe expand. So do you think if you wanted to be in the NBA media space, you would have ever ended up in the media space? Yeah, no, that's the thing is I think it, I feel like it only happened because I was just doing, I think it's a good life lesson in some ways. Cause I think I just genuinely was like doing, getting like very passionate about something very into it and like genuinely enjoyed it so much and just developed real meaningful relationships with people that were just based on enjoying their company and having a mutual interest. And then those relationships just like organically ended up turning into like career opportunities. But I think that you kind of like, it's convinced me honestly, that the only way to achieve real success at in any arena in life is to just like follow your bliss and like spend time doing the things that make you happy, spend time doing the things that you're passionate about don't worry about like having an agenda or like scheming or plotting or like, Oh, I have to talk to this person. Cause they know this person, like just lead with like, it sounds so corny, but like your heart and your joy and like the opportunities will come because I think joy is contagious and people want to be around people who are like enjoying their lives and like genuine. So yeah. that would be like my best advice to anyone, honestly, in any career is just like do the things that make you happy and like, like, follow your happiness and the other stuff will kind of maybe fall into place. I don't know.
It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your thoughts on the Kyrie situation? Well, I think it's pretty telling as far as like how I think the the most upsetting thing to me about it was like the lack of sort of like support obviously for not just like the Jewish community but just like like anti-hate speech from other players and like coaches and people in the league in general like obviously it's not their responsibility to like account for or speak for Kyrie but the the few voices I did hear to speak about it were like mostly supporting his right to like say whatever he wants which I thought was really upsetting um there wasn't a lot of players coming out and being like, you know, like, for example, like, like Osman on the Cavs is a Jewish NBA player. It must have really sucked to have zero Cleveland Cavaliers come out and be like, hey, one of our teammates is Jewish. And like, this really sucks. Um, but uh, I like, I mean, I thought LeBron's statement on it at the time was great. I Since he's sort of like, you know, he said some stuff since then that like, weaken the statement a little bit because I think he honestly just wants Kyrie to be a Laker and so he's like trying to like lay the groundwork for that which I get on a basketball level and a human level it kind of sucks but um but yeah I don't know I mean I think it's like uh, we're in such a weird time in history where like people can like say stuff like that and kind of be okay and it's like what like can you imagine like even I don't know in like the George W. Bush time like not even like Obama like before that, like even like that was a pretty dark time in American history. We were like invading Middle Eastern countries and like it was pretty bad. I mean, like George Bush was like very problematic in his own ways. But like, can you imagine someone just saying something like wildly anti-Semitic and like survive weathering that storm at all? Like it just it it was outrageous, you know, and like a lot of stuff that's said now, I feel like I think we got so desensitized to like so much insane horrifying stuff being like hurtled at us every single day like like a different crazy thing that trump was saying a different mass shooting a different like potential world war like every day that we were sort of just like oh like look at your phone something horrifying okay yeah now i have to go to starbucks so i guess i'll deal with that later um and so i think people are sort of like i think they have like a shock exhaustion like yeah. and people just are it's really hard to be outraged all the time and it's actually not they shouldn't be like it's really bad for you so i think when something like the Kyrie thing happens it's just like oh there's a fucking Kyrie being Kyrie, and i think people were rightfully really upset but i think how can you ma maintain being upset about something like that for longer than like two or three days like you just can't there's so much else going on yeah um and it was it felt like there were these other groups that were mad because quote unquote, Kyrie didn't do anything really, you know? And yeah. so they're like, oh, Kyrie's being, you know, un, like drugged through the coals on something that's very insidious, very yeah. painful, but that there wasn't an, even, I don't know if you saw this, but Jay Williams went on Ryan Clark's podcast and no. they were basically like, yeah, Kyrie's just trying to figure out his heritage and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and it's like, no. See, yeah. the facts don't support that, right? No. The facts don't support that the sort of crux of what he's trying to do and getting at and and discovering is not something to discover. And that discovery sort of puts other people's history and co-ops that history in a really insidious way. 
Yeah. And it was also just like, it's not even just this idea. Cause I mean, the fundamental idea of, I think what he was like get trying to get behind was this idea that the original, that like, like the black Israelites and that the original Jews are actually black and that has been wiped from history. And it's like, that's a conspiracy theory, but like, I understand why that would be intriguing to you. If you're someone like Kyrie who like has historically been drawn to conspiracy theories and drawn to like, Oh, people are trying to hide my history from me. The other problem that I think was like the bigger problem was that the actual piece of uh, film slash literature that he was promoting had a bunch of other stuff in it, like Hitler wasn't that bad type of stuff. Yeah. So like that stuff comes with it and you don't get to like cherry pick. Um, and the way he reacted to it was super like, well, I'm entitled to do whatever. And you guys are the ones saying that I'm promoting it. I'm just like tweeting it. And that's not a promotion. Like he was just being kind of like, I feel like kind of petulant in his response. And I think that also was part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like, and, and also this is like obviously such a complicated nuanced issue because like, I think a lot of people's responses in Kyrie's defense are pointing out something which is just fundamentally true, which is that like Jewish people, I, and I am one, as much as we have been persecuted and there is racism and hatred against us, we also, the majority of us benefit from white privilege, which is a real thing. So it's not just like cut and dry, like hatefulness and cut and dry um, prejudice that we're dealing with. Cause we're also beneficiaries of like very real privilege at the same time. And so I think that like a lot of people who are coming to Kyrie's defense are responding really less to like, the actual problem at hand and more to like years and years and years of being victims of racism. Um, and I think that's totally understandable. And I have a lot of empathy for that. So that's why I'm sort of like, oh, it's real complicated because it's like the people who look like the people who are being, you know, victims of prejudice in this instance are the very same looking people for the most part who have made black people's lives a living hell like that's just white people across the board. I'm not saying Jewish people specifically, but like white people in general. So right. like, I think that that's understandable that there would be like complicatedness there and it wouldn't just all be like, oh, kumbaya, we're all in this together because we're all persecuted and we're all like marginalized. Like there's marginalization is obviously like very complicated and, and there's a lot of nuance there. So I just wish that people like Kyrie were more like willing to actually educate themselves and like, not just like watch a YouTube video and think that they have all the answers. Um, and also something that I think is a, a problem that is born out of internet culture is like reluctance to admit when you're wrong. Like, yeah. I think that like when he realized what he promoted, I think he just was too proud to be like, oh fuck, I fucked up. There's some bad shit in that video, you know? And let's be honest, like he didn't watch that movie. He didn't watch the whole thing. No, oh, he probably yeah. watched like a clip from it. So that's the thing is like, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all maybe like promote something that ends up being problematic, like whatever, like just own it. Just be like, my bad. This was actually really messed up. I actually don't believe this because it's not real. So that's yeah, hopefully like, that's that we can at least get that far as a human race that we can like, if we're going to keep being dead wrong, at least maybe we can like own it at some point and like be willing to like grow and move on from it and not just like die on every single hill. So let's talk a little Lakers. Yeah. There's oh, a lot. Girl, there's a I lot mean, going on. Where to begin? <laughs> it feels like the season's already, like, had a full one, right? There's We're been three seasons. It's yeah. insane. 0-5, and then the sort of, like, middle zone, and then this crazy dominance from Anthony Davis, which, yeah, I mean, his nickname is Data Davis, right? That's his nickname. Yeah. Close. Uh, I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think that the and maybe it still won't, right? No, like yeah, maybe. I'm not fully convinced yet, but but he's been amazing for sure. So, like, what do you think has changed for the Lakers from going 0 and five, and people saying, "Hey, trade everyone," to and like trade Russ and maybe waive including Russ, me? Including, <laughs> I definitely said that. <laughs> yeah, trade him or waive him or get rid of him to whatever yeah. version that we see now, and and what is that version now? I mean, I think there's honestly so many things that broke right for the version of the Lakers right now where they're winning. I think the most important thing that changed is that Anthony Davis is healthy and he's super motivated and he's playing like absolute peak Anthony Davis. And I think 
you know, Coach Ham said in the offseason, like, that's everything for this team. Like, if Anthony Davis is playing like an MVP, it's a completely different story. So I think that's the biggest thing that's changed is he came out at the beginning of the season looking a little, like, not, like, apathetic, but just, like, he wasn't giving a 1,000% like he is now. And he seems like he's just on a tear. Like, he's just, like, has something to prove now, which I think he should have to begin with. But that's one. Two, I mean, like, it sounds inconsequential, but, like, they did have some players that were out to start the season. Like Dennis Schroeder, I think is like a good bench option for a point guard. He wasn't available. Um, Thomas Bryant was also out. Like those aren't going to like change your season, but it is a factor. Like they weren't fully, fully healthy. Obviously the Westbrook thing, I think he was very resistant to coming off the bench in the beginning. He said that it was going to be a cause of injuries because he didn't know how to stay warm. If he was coming off the bench, he was being like a big, big baby about it. And I do think at first when they brought him off the bench, they kind of tried like they tried him in the like having him, you know, start and then immediately come off the floor and then come off the bench. They kind of tried. They really tried to be bullish on having him in closing lineups. That really doesn't work. So I think having him just like in a straight up bench role, like not opening, not closing, just right in the middle has been super helpful. Um, and then LeBron is like, you know, finding his rhythm. He had a really rough start to the season and he's looked a lot better in recent games. He had, you know, tweaked his ankle, kind of tweaked his, had a groin injury come back. So like, I think LeBron playing at the level that he's capable of AD playing at the level he's capable of and everybody else kind of buying in. I still don't think that's like a championship team personally, because like, I think that they do if in my ideal world like they at least need to move Patrick Beverly and a pick if not Russ um but they're way more fun to watch now and they're not a complete disaster they're like a play-in team at least so that's I mean that's way better than what they were to start the season it was like some of the most depressing basketball I've ever seen it was joyless skillless like death it was so bad and the amount of of air ball brick three so much it was just it was so bad so so, <laughs> so freaking bad yeah so bad you said that you thought the lakers were in a toxic relationship with russell westbrook in the yeah. guardian you think that's true still i mean i think it's complicated because i think they're in that weird if i had to describe where they are in their relationship just to, to keep going with the metaphor i was using in the piece which is that they're in this long-term relationship that like maybe wasn't very thought out and like maybe you like have a really fun couple of weeks with someone on vacation and then you move in together and then you're like, Oh, we actually have like nothing in common. This is kind of a disaster. Like in keeping with that metaphor, I think they've been to couples therapy. I think they're both trying to work it out. I don't think, I mean, for sure it's over after this season. I mean, at the very most, it's going to be one more season. They're not going to bring him back. Um, if they did, they'd be absolutely insane. And, and I, I really don't think they will. Um, I still think it would probably be better to trade him. Like, even though it's going better, a $47 million bench player is, like, not the best case scenario for anyone. Like, he would way prefer to have a bigger role, I think, on a different team. And they would way prefer to have that $47 million broken up into a couple of other bench players that could be equally helpful and impactful, um, but more of them. So I still think if they could trade him with one pick, I would still say to do it. I think it's it's going well enough now that if they would have to use two picks to trade his contract halfway through the season, yeah, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they're it's working enough and you know they can probably move Beverly and get somebody back. Um, but it's one of those things. It's like I think I said this in the article. It's like if someone starts doing the dishes, but you don't agree, one of you wants kids and one of you doesn't. It's like yeah, that's great that you're doing the dishes now, but like we still want completely different things. And I feel like that's the Russell Westbrook thing is like, it's going better, but at the end of the day, they both know it's not right. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like sort of, I still think it would be preferable for them to move him, but I understand that it's looking a lot better and I understand why they wouldn't. One of the things that was like really prominent chatter was that the Lakers would be really the only asset that they really have. I mean, because, right, like, Russell Westbrook's not an asset. He's a liability, which is why you have to yeah. attach picks to him in right. order to get rid of him, right? 
So the only asset that, you know, the chatter was that they really could trade was AD, right? AD yeah. last nine, 34, 16, three with a steal and three blocks. But before those nine games, like he was very suspect play. Like you said, yeah. apathetic, probably not going to get a lot back for AD at that point. Which is probably. ridiculous because it's just a few games. I mean, people yeah. are so... They have like fly memories. It's like he, like when the Lakers traded everything they traded for him, like no one, people thought that was a lot, but they weren't like, that's preposterous. They're like, this is one of the top five best players in the league. Since that time, he's won a championship and then, you know, dealt with some injuries that were a lot of which I think a lot of the discourse about it is kind of silly because like a lot of it is really bad luck. Like, like it's kind of like Joel Embiid. Like, I feel like Joel Embiid's just had bad injury luck. Like, yes, he does he need to learn how to fall so that he doesn't like hurt himself? Like, yeah, he should probably be better at falling as like an enormous person. But like people were like, like someone just like hit him in the face and like broke his face bone, like stuff like that. Like 80, someone just like stepped on him. So to some degree, I think it's a little overblown the like, uh, you know, the Anthony Davis like speculation about like, can he stay healthy? But I get it. But I think there was like some luck involved there as well. You think, you think AD and Embiid are cursed with the injury bug? I mean, shit, man. Like they kind of feel a little cursed because there's, like I said, there's just so much bad luck involved. Um, but also, yeah, I think when you're that big, there's just like bodies aren't really supposed to be that tall. So just things go wrong. I mean, I think any big man in the league is going to deal with a certain level of injury, especially to the like lower half of the body. Cause that's just a lot of weight. And like, that's why people worry about, about Zion is like, it's just a lot of weight, like on the upper half of your body to be running around with like pounding, like your feet, you're going to have feet, foot and ankle issues when you have like, you know, that much weight and height on, on your body. But I don't know, LeBron's like six, nine and he, stayed pretty damn healthy. So <laughs> I don't know. Different, different dudes too, right? Like yeah, some of the discourse around LeBron versus AD is like work ethic related. And yeah. so you wonder what would flip, what the switch has flipped, like between the AD that we've seen in the last two years oh. and this version of AD, like you said, hyper motivated. Like, why do you think that light switch has gone on? Do you think that that's a Darvin Ham related switch flipper like this Frank Vogel bring this side out of AD do you think I think like Jared Ham deserves a ton of credit because from, from everything I've heard from like inside the organization and from them themselves like they have a great relationship I think they have like a great relationship not just as player coach but like as people I think they have a lot of mutual respect for each other Darvin is awesome like I spent I, I mean I went to like five home games when I was working on that rest piece and um every minute I sent around Darwin, I was just like, oh yeah, like you could, I would literally trust this man with my life. I don't know him at all, but he's just like, has such a presence about him. He has such a like, like calming, like paternal presence. And I think that works really well for some players. Like, um, and I think it's, it's really resonated with AD. Like AD is a pretty sensitive soul, I think. And um, I think Darwin is like, just communicated really well with him. So I do think he deserves some credit. I mean, I also think like, I feel like AD is kind of in like his MJ, I took that personally era. Like you had Bill Simmons speculating after the first few games of the season, like should the Lakers even bother trading AD? Is he worth anything? Could they even get like a fraction of what Utah got for Rudy Gobert? You know, like he was saying stuff like that. And at a certain point, I mean, like you should take that personally, you know, you should be like, excuse me, I'm Anthony fucking Davis. Like lest you forget. So I think it's a combo. I think it's like Darvin Ham's, a, I, th I think, a really good coach and and especially on the personnel side of things. I mean, on the X's and O's side of things, I feel like, yeah, he's he's made some questionable decisions at times. But I think the major the most important thing about being a coach is like how you deal with personalities and egos. And um, especially in a situation like the Lakers, where there's three enormous personalities, like um, enormous stars, like that's really difficult to deal with. Um, so I think for sure credit to him. And I think AD also has just started to be like, have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about it. Yeah. I remember one of the biggest videos that I did when the podcast first started was, is AD soft? And yeah. I remember. It's I been remember a storyline for sure. It really has. Yeah. And it's and a valid question. 
And this was like maybe two years ago. And yeah. I remember in the postseason when they went, they played the Suns. It was like right before that, he was like, there's just a lot of people calling me soft right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can tell that these guys read a lot and, and watch a lot and absorb mm-hmm. a lot. And you talk about Darvin Ham as a, as a coach and what he's done from just an X's and O's perspective. Like, this is probably Anthony Davis said this is his third or fourth best stretch in his career. But I went through his career game by it's game. It's got to be the best stretch of his career. It is. It's the best game, nine game stretch. And it, like, he's never averaged 34, 16, three with one steal and three blocks. Yeah. For 46% from three, 65% from the field. His best stretch besides that was 2018. He had five 40 point games. He averaged 33, 15, and two with three steals and two and a half blocks. And listen, like, it's just a different version. It's almost yeah. like breaking the wheel in terms of how offense is being run. Like, you have maybe one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA. So, like, let's yeah. just not shoot threes anymore. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I think and I think it's funny, too, because it's almost like when they let that go, like, when they kind of just accepted, like, that's not our team identity, the shots started falling, too. Like, their jump shots have been better, and their shooting percentage has gone up. Um, from three, because I think, first of all, like, obviously the percentage is going to go up as you take less of them because they were taking so many and like, it's, you can't make like making nine out of 10 threes is a lot harder than making like one out of three. But, um, I, I also think, yeah, they kind of like accepted and leaned into like AD, just like punishing people. Um, which is great. I don't know. It worries me a teeny bit as far as sustainability. It's a long season and that's a lot of wear and tear his body's taking. He's taking a ton of fouls and just like a lot of abuse. Um, so it does worry me, but he looks like he's in great shape. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you saw them beat the Milwaukee Bucks, holy healthy. Oh, God, that was so cool. What like, a great game. <laughs> meaningful scale for you. Like, to me, as someone who ha- hates the Lakers, right? Like, I've had mm-hmm. it my whole life as a Portland Trailblazer fan. Yeah. Um, it's just embedded in me. And, like, <laughs> w- wishing for them to, to to fail at all, like, like stops along the road yeah. with Kobe, right? But I was like, wow, that's a meaningful win. Yeah. I think it was their best win since the bubble, personally, since they won, since the game where they won the championship. I think that was like their best win because LeBron looked awesome. AD looked insane. Um, The team chemistry looked great. uh, And it was a really formidable opponent. Like I still, even though the Celtics are on a tear, like I still have the Bucks winning the championship this year. They were at home in Milwaukee. It was the first game of like a long road trip. And there was so much chatter around the league, like after the Pacers lost, which was like so depressing and kind of looked like, okay, maybe it was fool's gold that they won all these games in a row. Like maybe they really are shitty um, to come back from that Pacers loss and have that Milwaukee win. Like I, it's the most meaningful win I can think of in a really long time. It was, I think the season, it could have been the season really. It sounds hyperbolic, but like had they lost that game, especially in like the kind of fashion that they lost the Pacers game, like, that was like a wire to wire victory. I I mean, I think Milwaukee might've come back and was up by like one or two points at a certain point, but for the most part, the Lakers were winning that entire game. It looked very decisive and um, yeah, it was just like a, a super statement win. Yeah, I agree. If, if 
they continue to play well, Lakers. Yeah. yeah. I'm giving you three, four sort of outcomes in terms of betting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> AD MVP. Okay. LeBron MVP. Darvin Ham, coach of the year. Lakers to come out of the West. Which of those four outcomes would you would you place your money on? For sure, AD MVP. Like if AD keeps playing like this the rest of the year, he has to end up in like the top three MVP voting. I don't think LeBron really has a chance at MVP at this point. He, I don't think he's the most valuable player on the Lakers right now. Like, like the reason they're winning is because AD is playing like this. Um, LeBron's been great the last few games, but like he's not the best player on the team at the moment. And that kind of needed to be true for the last few years. And AD just like wasn't stepping up to make that possible. But LeBron is 38 this month. Yeah. So like he should not be the best player. Like a 38 year old is not going to be the best player in a championship team, just like point blank period. So, and he knows that uh, Darvin Ham is coach of the year. Like, I mean, I think he deserves to be mentioned in the conversation, but I think as long as you have players like AD and LeBron, like it's, it would be really rough to get, that kind of nod. I don't think anyone, especially with LeBron being like a coach on the floor kind of player, I don't think any of his coaches are ever going to get that kind of credit. Um, them coming out of the West. I mean, the West looks pretty vulnerable at the moment. Like a lot of the teams that were supposed to be kind of juggernauts are not looking like juggernauts. That being said, like I would, I would bet on AD being an MVP before I would bet on them coming out of the West. I saw uh, Rob Palinka by himself at the Phil Knight uh, Classic night invitational nice. just like scouting just like by himself on a random uh baseline and i was like who are you scouting my guy you have no <laughs> picks you have no picks <laughs> yeah. oh. but um were you surprised like how fast he got extended given oh the my drama? god shocked yeah i mean surprise i guess the lakers make a lot of questionable front office choices so nothing ever really surprises me, but yeah, that's insane that he got extended. Like there was nothing at that time that should have given them that faith in him. Um, it, I heard Jeannie say something about how like she wanted to show Darwin that like it, he wasn't going to have a lot of like changes. Like there was going to be continuity. Like it's like, we're building a, a team. Like this is the coach we're dedicated to you. This is the GM we're dedicated to you. Like, like wanting to like create like a stable culture, but Man, Rob Polinka, like, ugh, I mean, even like getting LeBron, quite frankly, the Lakers front office had nothing to do with that, I don't think. I think LeBron just wanted to play for the Lakers, wanted to play in LA. They looked like a disaster, and he kind of just didn't care because he's just like, I'm LeBron James and I can make anyone good and I'll like come make you good. It's fine. But like, yeah, I, I don't even, they built the championship roster completely by accident. They wanted a big three. They wanted to get Kawhi. Kawhi pulled like a crazy bait and switch on them. And then all that was left was like a bunch of really competent role players that happened to like buy in and be great. But that was not like a stroke of genius, that championship roster. That was like <laughs> dumb luck. And then they blew it up, <laughs> even yeah. though it won a championship. So like, there's like zero evidence that Rob Polinka knows what the fuck he's doing. It's, it's wild that he got extended. I have no faith in him. That's no. actually like the best thing as a Laker hater. The best thing that could happen is, <laughs> is Rob Polinka being there. I think the probably the best thing that he does is scouting, like finding Caruso, yeah. finding Austin Reeves, finding guys that I mean, when you have no draft picks, like you have to figure out. No, they're amazing at, at at scouting like undrafted players, but I don't even know if you can give Rob Polinka credit for that. I feel like that's just there. Like there are other people, obviously, in the front yeah. office who get tasked with that but yeah I don't know I mean obviously he was Kobe's guy and like obviously Kobe means a lot to the Laker franchise so I'm sure that's part of the loyalty there but sheesh yeah I mean wouldn't it be great if you could we could all fail up to that degree <laughs> like just in the middle of like an O and whatever nine losing streak or something <laughs> like just like get extended for the next three or four years or whatever they gave him like nothing nothing well. like being a good looking white male just yeah nothing like it, it really you know? it, yeah if you're like an, a middle to upper class white dude who's even relatively good looking the world is truly your oyster it, like it just, so what happens at the deadline do you think uh I, so I think that they're gonna do something because I think that's why they waived Matt Ryan is to open up that roster spot um 
I don't think it's going to be Russ. In my heart of hearts, I really think like the fact that it's gone better is enough for them to justify not um, encumbering themselves to get rid of his contract. Would I love it to be Russ? Yeah, I still would. I don't care that he's been playing better. I still really, really hope that they trade him. What I think is more likely is that they trade Patrick Beverly and maybe Kendrick Nunn and like a pick instead of two picks and get a couple, you know, helpful guys back that aren't like huge difference makers, but that are certainly like Patrick Beverly is like not even really a basketball player right now. He's just like, like a cheerleader. I don't know. He's like not impactful in a basketball way at all. Um, and Kendrick Nunn has been like God awful. So yeah, I guess if they can like make fringe moves like that and then just at least stand pat on the rest coming off the bench thing. Um, I think that's probably their preference. I guess I could see them doing nothing just because they've done that several times. I, I, but I, I, I think that they're going to do something. I think that's why they opened up the roster spot. If there's one player out there or two players that you want, who are they? I mean, I've heard rumors about Terry Rozier. That would be awesome. Um, I think Charlotte's probably going to tank sooner rather than later, just because like they've been pretty bad and Wembenyama is like so generational. Um, I'm surprised actually that there aren't more teams obviously tanking already, I guess, because maybe Adam Silver kind of like put down the hammer on that yeah. is the only reason why people are being more subtle. But like, I thought this season was going to be just like a tank fest. Um, so yeah, like Terry Rozier would be cool. Um, I mean, I'm still down for the Buddy Heald, Miles Turner situation. Like, I think both of those guys would be really helpful, but um, they didn't look great when the Lakers played the Pacers, which probably didn't really help their case for, like, trade for me. Um, I mean, personally, like, my ideal situation that actually feels realistic is, like, I think the Timberwolves really miss Patrick Beverly. I think they have, like, no culture anymore, and I think he was, like, a bigger part of that than they thought. Um, that's actually the piece that I just wrote just about the Timberwolves. Um, so my ideal situation slash what I think is likely is like the Timberwolves are kind of the only team that like would really give up anything good for Patrick Beverly, I think, cause he just was like important to them in a way that he isn't obviously to anyone else. So maybe just like some fringe guys on the wolves that are helpful and can shoot like a, I don't know, like Austin Rivers, Bryn Forbes and somebody, I don't Yeah. Just like a couple, like kind of competent role guys from the wolves for Pat Bev um, and maybe I guess a pick if they have to. Um, I think that would be like the most realistic case scenario that would actually be pretty good. Yeah, nice. Well, you, you mentioned, we talked about, you got discovered in basketball spaces through NBA Twitter. I, what, like just finally, I guess, what's your thought on if it goes away? Where do we go? <sighs> I don't know. It'd be such a bummer. I mean, like I was, I mean, obviously we were all weirdly like eulogizing Twitter like two weeks ago and it's still here. Super awkward. It's like when you say goodbye to someone at a party and then you like have to come back and wait for your Uber. It's like, Oh, I guess we're all still here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know because I think the thing about Twitter that's like so special, it would have to be another app. That's just like the exact same app, but with a different name pretty much. Cause it's like, it's the fastest social media. Like it's basically instantaneous reactions to things. And that's what lends itself to like sports discourse so well, because like you could just instantaneously react to what you're seeing and everyone else can too. And so your feed is just like, like when someone does like a crazy dunk, like when AD dunked on two people the other night, my whole timeline was like, oh my God, Anthony Davis. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And if you try to do that on like Instagram or TikTok or anything, it's like, it's just completely different formats. Um, so I would say either it would be replaced by something very similar or I don't know, do we go back to like chat rooms and like fucking like weird, like, uh, yeah, I don't even know, like message boards, like ugh, it's bleak. I, um, Cause I think Twitter's great. Like it's kind of a nightmare, but like in, in a good way, it's a nightmare because it's just like so democratic. Like you just can say whatever immediately. And that's kind of cool. I mean, I wish I had an owner that cared about like racism and homophobia and misogyny. Like it could be improved in those ways. And it, it's a feeder system for a lot of harassment, but as far as being someone who talks about sports, like, yeah, it's the goat app for sure. There's yeah, none, I think none so. are close. And I'm like, there are people on that app that I love on Twitter, but I don't, when I log off, it's not like I remember. 100%. Like I'm also like, there, oh, yeah, yeah, like, oh 
like, yeah, this person. I'm not going to go to another app and be like, you know who I need to find is yeah. like Nick's tape 99. Like, no, 1000%. <laughs> also, I was, I was writing about this like that night, but like there are people on Twitter who like, I genuinely like, I know when they've had babies and like when they've gotten married and I'm like so happy for them. But like, if you ask me like what city they live in, I'd be like, I have no clue. Like, I don't know anything about, I don't know their last names. I don't know where they live, but I'm like invested in their lives. Like I care. And it's just, it's such a weird, surreal thing to be like, oh, if Twitter was wiped off the face of the earth, like I would just never know what happened to those people. Well, it has been a fun chat. I can yeah. go on and on. You got to get to mobile to find, yeah, I gotta go find a phone. <laughs> you know, Claire uh, revealed to us that she lost her cell phone. So she's been, yeah. she's been naked. You know, no cell phone this I mean, entire yeah. time without just sitting in front of the laptop. <laughs> yeah, just getting iMessage on the on the the, I, the Apple MacBook. So yeah, we appreciate you. Check Claire out. You can find her on Twitter if it still exists. Uh, yeah. Claire with an E C L A I R E M P L S. Is that Minneapolis? It is. Yeah, it's from when I lived in Minneapolis. Yeah, Claire <laughs> Minneapolis M P L S. Give her a follow. <laughs> also check out her band Tiny Deaths writes for the guardian she's here to tell us a bunch of funny stuff online so follow her Amazing. thank you for coming on thank you so much for having me it's so cool to like actually be able to talk to you face to face yeah women in the space are few and far between especially know, like solidarity funny ones and ones <laughs> that are like gonna give anti rudy gobert takes so oh my god always count on me check I out the guardian you. next week for more <laughs> anti rudy gobert takes <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for that. Thanks so yes. much. Thank you. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Friday with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which drop almost every single day. Follow the Heat Check as the 2023 season is in full swing. Please do not forget to download, subscribe. Please tell your friends and follow us on social at, at this Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>